This is a multi-part episode. If you've not listened to the previous parts, please go back and do so. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. this uh a lot of times when we you know missionaries go home they go through a pretty tough period uh it's hard going from a an experience like that back to normal life after two years so i do want to know a little bit about how your exit from the mission was especially now that you knew french and you had so many missionary points i'm guessing things were looking up for you (laughs) yeah yeah, it was. I was kind of excited to go home because I, I really liked college and I was excited to go back. And um, yeah, you know, just going home, being with my family and knowing a language and it was exciting, but also terrifying because I didn't know who I was. My my whole identity had been wrapped up in this idea that I'm a missionary. So it was it was a really rough transition going home and trying to figure out how you fit in the world. Also feeling like I felt like my calling was to be a missionary. But, you know, you go home and they're like, well, you're done with that now. And you you know, they, they kind of they kind of give lip service to this idea of being a member missionary. You know, they're like, oh, well, you're, you're still a missionary when you go home, but it's not at all the same. You know, every every RM can attest to that. You know, it's not the same thing at all. No, it is not. <laughs> it is, so, yeah, it was really rough. I, I didn't like being home, especially since I was thrown right into college. Like, I got home first week of August, and then, you know, like two weeks later, I was back in college, and I was taking Calculus 2 and, like, Physics 2 and... And I couldn't remember physics one or calc one, so it was really rough. So I had to go back and review everything while I was learning new stuff. And not only that, but um, I had I had met a girl in my last area on my mission, and we had uh, we kind of like started talking after I got home. And uh, so we we started talking online, and you know, uh, talked about you know a relationship. She was she was really nice on my mission. Like she was she was actually a convert, like a recent convert. And uh, that didn't. But it turns out that it was just a very not sure if I really want to go into that. It was, it was it was not a very good relationship. It was just she just wasn't the person I thought she was. Um, but anyways, so that didn't work out, and so that added to the stress and the pain of, you know, I, I felt like you know I was probably just naive. You know, I was hoping like maybe if we were, she's uh, well. First of all, she, it seemed like we clicked at first, but it didn't work out. But part of me also kind of wished like maybe if we dated, you know, I could keep part of my mission. You know, like maybe if we we got married, then I could keep part of my mission with me. So it was maybe it was kind of a naive, you know, idea on my part, but you know, because I was going back and thinking about all these positive experiences on my mission, and was trying to was was trying to relive that experience, but but uh, yeah, that didn't that didn't work out, and so it kind of fell apart. It was really bad. Um, yeah, but yeah, it was just really really depressing to think about, you know, that you're home. And I was I remember asking my bishop multiple times. I was going to my singles ward. 
not not with the intention of you know getting married or something, but just because our ward, you know, had a lot of people my age, and so I felt like I connected with them better. I just remember asking my bishop multiple times. I'm like, can I have a calling? Like, I just feel like useless. Can I just do something? You know, I don't. It doesn't matter what it is, and and it was like months and months before I actually got a calling. And by that time, I kind of just didn't care anymore. So I I felt kind of rejected by God. You know, like I I wondered maybe I didn't do as good of my mission as I should have, or maybe. You know, especially with the breakup and, and the, the stress of being home and just everything all piling up. I was like, I just felt like I was just alone again. You know, like I felt like I just didn't have God in my life. So, yeah, it was, it was an incredibly difficult experience at that time. I, I think it's interesting. You were talking about asking your bishop for a calling and, and not really getting one for several months. And um, then you, you transitioned to saying that you you felt rejected by God. Did you Did you in some ways equate the LDS church with God, do you think? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think it's natural to feel like, because the church is always telling you there's two paths to revelation. There's the path through personal revelation and prayer, and there's the path through the priesthood authority in the church. So it seems like it's within this authoritarian structure that you can't have the complete, you can't be completely united to God by yourself. You have to access God through the church. And so I felt like when I wasn't getting this calling and I felt like I was being ignored and I'm, and I know the Bishop wasn't trying to do that. You know, I, I, I didn't put the blame at his, I know that they, they get busy and, and I think it had some, maybe it had something to do with my paperwork, not transferring over from my home ward. I don't exactly remember all the details, but it just felt like, yeah, like I uh, being rejected and not getting this, this calling felt like it was God himself that was kind of pushing me away. And it, it was difficult to get through that. I'm not entirely sure how I got over it, to be honest. Mm. Uh, but I mean, I mean, time heals all wounds. It's kind of a trite statement, but I think in a lot of cases it's true. So I think just getting over the breakup, having space and time after that, and getting through this kind of rejection and kind of just getting back to normal and feeling like, okay, you're not a missionary anymore. You know, just just you're a return missionary. You just got to deal with it. You just got to get over it. You're not going to be able to go back and do that again. But what's funny is I like still to this day, I'll have dreams of getting off of a train and I'm in France again, you know, being a missionary. Like it's it's so strange to think about that because I'm not I've been out of the church for a couple of years now. But it's just something that it's just part of my psyche. You know, like when when you're for two years, you're doing the same thing day in and day out. And that's all you ever want to be. It's like it's a part of you. You know, you can't you can't get rid of that. It's it's, mm. it's like in it's like in your soul. So I really I really I'm grateful for my mission experience and the transition coming home was difficult, but I, I don't regret it at all. It's it's just kind of a shame that looking back now, I wish I could have had a similar experience. But, you know, anyways, I'll, I'll go more into that. So, you know, we joke that we joke about you being the nuclear Calvinist. Um, <laughs> I, I'm just kind of curious because you came up in your mission. You went back to school. Where, where were you going to school at the time? What were you studying? And I'm, I'm assuming it was. Uh, something leading into the the field that you're in today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I so when I went to college my first year, my intention was to become a programmer. So I was a computer science major, and I was attending Weber State University, which is in Ogden, Utah. And it's a really good school. It's a kind of a smaller school, but it's a teaching university. They don't really have dedicated research faculty there. Maybe some programs, but you know they have a few master's programs, but they're typically professional. So the focus is really on teaching. So the, the, the professors there are there because they want to teach. And that's what I really liked about it. Um, interesting enough, a neighbor of mine 
I grew up with uh, Brandon Burnett's actually a chemistry professor there now, so it's kind of crazy. He's he's my age and he graduated with a PhD in chemistry. So uh, yeah, shout out to Brandon, but uh, <laughs> Doctor Brandon, sorry. But uh, yeah, so I was going to Weber State University. I was and when I came home from my mission, you know, I, I when I left my mission, I think I was using Java version five, something like that. And then when I came back from my mission, they were using like Java version nine or something. So <laughs> I mean, it's basically the same, but quite a bit different. So that was kind of the first thing that bugged me. I was like, all right, you know, I'm I'm tired of like software constantly evolving. I don't want to be, you know, in my 60s or 70s and realize I have to learn some crazy brand new software or, or technology. So I was like, maybe there's something technical, but still a little bit more, you know, a little bit more constant, you know, not as, you know, not as fluctuating as like computer sciences. And computer science is a great field, you know, I, I end up actually having to do a lot of programming for my field anyway, so I didn't couldn't completely escape it. But uh, yeah, so that's when I was interested in, in uh, doing engineering because my my grandfather on my mom's side, he's he was a he was a mechanical engineer at uh, Thiokol ATK now I think unless if they're not around anymore. But they designed the solid rocket motors for the space program. Mm-hmm. So he would tell me stories about all the cool projects he would work on, you know, back in the back in the 60s and 70s and stuff. And some of it was you know classified or declassified. So some of it he probably couldn't tell me, but some stuff he could. It was it was just cool to hear all the cool projects he worked on. And I'd had an aptitude and interest in science and physics, chemistry, mathematics, that kind of thing. So it all kind of just fit. So, but the problem with that is Weaver doesn't have a mechanical engineering program. So I had to, I took a, I took a year or two of courses there at Weaver State, and then I had to transfer. So I transferred to University of Utah, and uh, I finished my mechanical engineering degree there. What year was that? <clears throat> so I graduated with my bachelor's in science in 2013. And yeah, so and in that time, I was still kind of trying to figure out like what what kind of job do I want to get into, and that's when I'd been taking this you know like physics courses and you know we they got into quantum mechanics and nuclear physics and just a just a taste of it, not really anything deep, but I thought it was really cool. I really liked it. I really liked studying radiation, and I found out there's a graduate program in nuclear engineering at University of Utah, and I got like ever since then I got super psyched about it. So I would. I'd read all about it and all the different things you could do with nuclear, and I wrote reports for my English cor- my English courses, my general ed courses related to nuclear engineering. So I was just really pumped up about it, and so ever since then I'd been planning to do nuclear. And so I, so yeah, I finished my bachelor's and I applied and I for the mass for the graduate program in nuclear. So that's what I did at University of Utah. I did my master's there and defended my thesis and all that stuff. And I so I did that, uh, finished that in 2015, and then when I finished that, then I wanted to go on to more schooling, so I applied to out-of-state because it's never good to do, you know, a bachelor's, master's, PhD, all from the same school. You can do it, but they kind of suggest you branch out a little bit. So I applied to a few programs, and I originally was going to do something strictly fluids-related. So I applied to RPI because they have a really renowned professor in fluids here. But I ended up doing something else, multi-physics. So that's how I ended up at, uh, now I'm in Troy, New York. Working on that, at going to RPI, uh, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute is the name of the school. So as when I left at that, before I left to to come here to RPI in Troy, um, I had already started to kind of encounter some doubts. I, before that, I I was totally into the church, you know, 2015, you know, I was still in. But I started to question when I was a teacher for my Sunday school course, and I was giving a lesson in Sunday school in my singles ward. 
and I was t- talking about the temple. And so I was talking to everybody like, you know, hey, we're, you know, we're going to talk about temples. I mean, most of you have been to the temple because you're returned missionaries, so you should be able to tell me all about it. So I asked, what what are the ordinances that we do in the temple? You know, and everybody got really silent. They got really quiet. And I was like, well, like, what's the big deal? You know, like, you can talk about the temple. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I, I think it's just inherent in the LDS psyche that it's like, you know, either be careful. You know, you don't want to say too much because that's too bad because you made covenants not to reveal anything. So, you know, they talked about somebody mentioned baptisms for the dead and endowments and then somebody raised his hand and then he mentioned uh he mentioned the second endowment and I was like, second endowment? That, that sounds familiar. So I told him, I don't know what that is, but uh I'll I'll get back to you on that. And so then I continued the lesson and uh I went back to study that and I'm I'm sure you guys have heard of that, of the, the second endowment or the second anointing. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So that was the first I'd I'd heard about it or read about it before my mission, and I kind of just like brushed it aside, like you know that's not really important. Don't worry about it. But when I when I heard about it again, you know, at, at this point I had been to college, I was nearly done with my master's degree, so I had a little bit more confidence in my ability to reason, to look at evidence, and rationalize the evidence, you know, to to absorb the evidence, to analyze it, and to come to a conclusion about what kind of you know, what kind of hypothesis you could you could base around the data. So I didn't have to just rely on what others thought about the data, you know, like apologetics or apologists. I, I could actually read it myself and kind of trust that my mind would be able to deduce the, you know, the logical conclusion. So I re- read into it, you know, I read from the, the dialogue, a Journal of Mormon Thought, where they talked about the second anointing. And it just seemed very strange to me. And it really bothered me. It got under my skin, this idea that I was working so hard on my mission. I was working so hard to try to, to be better, to, to prove to God that I loved him, that, you know, to become something that I wanted to become and trying to rely on Jesus. You know, I felt like I was really praying to Jesus, you know, like a real well, praying to Heavenly Father that you know, Jesus' atonement could make me into something better. And I just really wanted to become like Christ. I just really wanted to be a Christ-like person. And I just felt like I just could never get there. It just felt like this, this, this goal, like, you know, like a, like a crazy dream where you're trying to get to the doorway and you feel like you're almost within an arm's length. And as soon as you get there, then the door shoots past you and you've got to run another mile to get to it. You know, you feel like you're almost there and there's moments where you feel like you're there, but then you, then you lose it, you know? So that, that, this idea that there's this ordinance that's only given to a select few people that guarantees that you will enter heaven, no matter what you do, as long as you don't uh, commit murder or, or, commit the sin against the Holy Ghost, you're guaranteed to go to reach exaltation, to become a god, etc., etc. And that just bothered me because I just thought about all the good people in my life that worked so hard, and, and me too, just working so hard to try to have some comfort, some peace, some assurance, and never really getting it. And But then these people, they got it. You know, these people that received the second anointing, they did receive this this peace that I wanted. And I thought, why why can't we have access to that? Why is it only for for this select VIP group, why can't I have it? And that that really dug under my skin, and that kind of forced me to re-examine my my own views of the church and and the history of the church. And it didn't stop there. I started to examine the the foundations of the restoration of the priesthood, the the whole the whole idea of the Book of Mormon, the, the validity of the three and eight witnesses and their testimonies. 
Um, the Joseph Smith's treasure digging. It's just everything, you know. It started with the second anointing, but it's just reexamining everything. And, and polygamy, too, you know. Just the thought, not only that he married young women, but the fact that he married women that were already married to other men. Just all these all these things just, just really just really were disconcerting to me and just I was just it was it was gradual it was a very gradual process but like I just felt more and more uneasy over time and at this time I was dating I'd been dating someone for about two years now and I felt like this was just a test of my faith that this was God testing me and and that I would I would read and I would seek out the answers and I would find an answer to my to my problems to these things that had been bothering me and as time went on, I was, it just kind of got worse and worse. And I found more and more problems and less and less answers. And I just, I, I struggled a little bit that summer before leaving for Troy to attend church. I'd, I was doing an internship in Idaho. So I didn't, I don't know, I think I attended church there, but not constantly. Cause I was just, I was just digging into books and trying to solve this problem. You know, like I was looking at it like an engineer would. You just have a problem and you got to solve it. So I, there's got to be an answer so that I can keep my faith. Yeah, but but like I said, I held on to this 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 hope that that I was going to get through to the end of it, and I was going to be a stronger Latter Day Saint, and I was going to be like a you know I was going to be a representative of the church, and I could help other people who went through the same thing I did. And by that time, I'd been engaged to be married uh, to the girl I'd been dating at that time, and so I had like a, this incentive to want to find answers, and I worked really hard at it. So even when I moved to Troy, started my doctoral studies here, I was spending most of my free time just reading, just digging into any books I could find, anything I could find. And it just kept getting worse and worse and it was more and more difficult. And I just was not finding that that resolution I was hoping for. And I got to a point where I realized like this may like this may not get any better. You know, that hope that I held on to that I could keep my testimony, I thought like I might lose it. Like I might, you know, I might I might lose my testimony. But I couldn't I couldn't let anybody know because there's this there's this idea in, in the LDS church where it's like, if you have doubts, you can't really share them. You kind of just have to go along with the flow. You have to go with the program. You kind of have to put on a face and pretend like everything's okay, even though inside I was just like a complete mess. I was just I was just so messed up in my head and in my heart. I just felt sick to my stomach. It was just a really bad time. So this was about, so it had been after about a year and a half, I've kind of started digging into this stuff where... Spring of 2016, I was preparing for the marriage, and she said, you know, are we still getting married? And I'm like, you know, I, like, I want to. Like, I just got to hold out. You know, God's going to give me the answer I want. And I, I don't remember exactly what, what spurned it off, but, you know, just reading quotes from Brigham Young and, you know, changes to LDS doctrines and just all of this stuff just builds up. You know, that shelf just gets heavier and heavier. And just one day, the stress of that plus the stress of school and exams and things like that, I just, I just completely cracked. You know, I just completely had a mental breakdown. I just, I just told my, my fiance, I told her, I can't do this. I'm done. I can't handle this anymore. Like that's pretty much all I said. And I told my mom, you know, I told her, I'm like, you know, I can't remember exactly what I said. It was something like, you know, whatever happens, mom, just know that I love you. Kind of a really cryptic message. And I shut off my phone and I was just like in just complete despair. And I just, I think it was, it was almost like a movie, you know, like I think it was raining that day. I'm pretty sure it was raining that day. And so, you know, I was walking home in the rain. I'm just like, why, like, why God? Like what? I just can't, I can't believe that I've been lied to. You know, I felt like my, my, my shelf had cracked. I'm like, the church can't possibly be true. It's like, there's too many logical contradictions. There's too, there's too many changes to the doctrines. How could God change the doctrine of salvation one day, you know? 
previous LDS prophets said that you have to be married, polygam- you know, in a polygamous marriage to get to heaven. And then they changed their mind years later. It's just all these contradictory messages. I just couldn't take it and I just lost it. And so for like the next few days, I was just inconsolable. I was just in my apartment just by myself. I had no one to talk to, no one to, to, to vent with. So I just, just tried to deal with it on my own. And then probably two or three days later, I turned my phone back on and, uh, um, I just needed, you know, I just needed time to figure things out. So I just took those few days off and just tried to figure out my life. And uh, when I turned my phone back on, um, you know, I had about like 20 messages, you know, 30 messages in my phone pop up all at once. And then I got a phone call right when I turned my phone back on, like right at that instant. I don't know if it was, it was Providence or what, but my friend called me and he said, bro, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm all right. You know, I didn't know that he knew about my mental breakdown. So I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm not really good right now, but I'll be okay. And he said, yeah, man, it's really hard to really, really sad to hear about what happened. And so I was confused. I was like, well, like, what are you talking about? And he says, yeah, you know, so, you know, I'm really sorry to hear. So when did you find out that, uh, that your fiance broke off the engagement? And so like in my mind, I was like, oh, I guess it's off then. <laughs> you know, it was probably a month and a half away. And so she broke it off because based on my message, you know, saying I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't be in the church anymore, that kind of thing. So she broke off the engagement and I was kind of left there to pick up the pieces by myself in New York. It was a really rough time. I didn't have any real friends or family here. So I just tried to figure things out and figure out who I am, figure out what I want to believe, figure out where I want to go. It was kind of that way for a few weeks. Had you talked with her at all prior to that about what you were going through? I tried, I tried, I tried to hint at some things I had been struggling with. I had mentioned things like she was, she was a returned missionary, so she really wanted to be in the church for the rest of her life. But she was kind of like a lot of LDSR, I think, where you go and you tell everybody how much you love the church and you believe the church is true, but it's, it's a very fine line with that, with that uh, testimony, kind of a, kind of a, an anxiousness or a fear that there may be just one thing that sets you off or, or proves that the church isn't true. So, I know I had known in the past, you know, based on other conversations where I was more intellectually open to reading stuff that may not be pro LDS material. But anything like that, if, if I told her I was reading a book that was not written by an LDS author or something, it kind of freaked her out a little bit. You know, she would be like, well, are you reading the Book of Mormon? You know, are, are you praying? Are you, are you staying you know, strong in the church and things like that? And I'd be like, yeah, don't worry. I'm, you know, it's just, you know, it's just something interesting to read and that would kind of uh, appease her. So I knew that if I were to bring any of this up with her, it would really scare her away. You know, mm-hmm. but I tried, I tried to share some things like in a, in a non-confrontational way. I'd be like, so I was, I was reading about, um, what is her name? It's like, she's a, it's a woman that has like five names and she was married like three or four times. Uh, so I think her name starts with like a Z, like Xiantha Zy- or something like that. She was, she was one of the women that was married to, she was married previously and then she was married polygamously to Joseph Smith. And then after Joseph Smith died, she went to live. She was kind of always staying with her first husband. You know, even though she was married to jo- Joseph Smith, she stayed with her first husband. But then when Joseph died, Brigham Young came in and kind of like took over, you know, and kind of took all of Joseph Smith's previous wives, you know, took care of them. So he kind of tore her from her first husband's house and said, well, she's my wife, so... That story was one of the real breaking points in my testimony. I was like, that's just despicable. You know, take like literally forcing a woman from her husband's home. I just couldn't, I just couldn't stand that. So I, I kind of 
tried to bring that that story up with her. Like, what do you think about that? You know, like, what if what if that were us today? Like, what if we're like after we're married, if the state president came up to us and said, you know what? Uh, I know she's your wife, but God told me that she needs to be my wife and she can't live with me anymore. And I, I was like, wouldn't that be really crazy? And she said, well, you know, I don't know. She didn't really want to talk about it. She was trying to avoid it and didn't really want to think about it and kind of just said, well, that's part of history. You know, you won't have to worry about it now. It's it's done with. You know, we don't practice polygamy. So I tried to bring stuff up with her. But I knew after that conversation that she just was not, you know, like her her shields were up. She was just not willing to, to talk about anything. So it, that was part of why I kind of exploded emotionally and mentally is, is I just had no outlet. I had no one to talk to about this stuff and no one here in New York knows anything about Mormonism, you know? <laughs> so, so they're like, I don't know. Yeah. It sounds kind of weird to me too. You know, <laughs> if I brought anything up. So, yeah. So after, after that point, uh, like I, I briefly felt it, like, I was like considering all options. Like, am I going to become an agnostic or an atheist? But, but at that point I was like, no, like, you know, thinking back to my mission and other times I'm like, no, there's too, there's too many times where God, I felt like God was there in my life, you know, either emotionally or just felt like I'd been protected or, Feel like God had interceded in my life. There's no way there can't be a God. Like that's just that's just preposterous. And uh, I kind of try to figure out what to do. And so so I was trying to deal with all this information. You know, after the emotional explosion, I was like, okay, I think I can make this work. You know, I, I maybe maybe I can stay Latter Day Saint. Maybe, you know, but we'll, but we'll see. I'm 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 open to options. So I I think I'm an intellectual guy. You know, like I feel like God blessed me with a certain level of logic you know, by his grace. So I, I started listening to, to debates on YouTube. So I just, I was like, well, you know, maybe, maybe I'll consider, you know, other Christian religions. So I just, I just Googled like a Christian debate or something like that. And I came across uh, one of James White's, uh, Dr. James White's debates uh, with Father Mitch Pacwa. It was either on the papacy or the, the Roman Catholic priesthood was the first one I listened to. And so that introduced me to kind of like Christian theology and uh, versus Catholic theology. And I just, I just, I just love debates. So like I just watched a ton of them on YouTube and started reading books and, and uh, things like that. And I just found it very intellectually stimulating. And I was like, you know, like maybe, maybe I can make something out of this, you know, like maybe I can stay LDS and like make it work, you know, like sure. I won't believe this other stuff. Yeah. But you know, like it's a, it's a personal experience, you know, you can do what you want with it. I kind of tried to go the subjective route, you know, kind of, kind of tried to ignore the parts that I didn't like and just keep what I, what I liked. But is is still difficult because that didn't really that didn't really fix the problem. You know, I still felt like I was a sinner that needed to be saved. I, was, I still felt like I didn't know what to do, and I'd been introduced to the Trinity. You know, I'd started reading stuff from James White and watching his program, The Dividing Line, and so like I started to learn a little bit about Christian theology and and even Reformed theology, and and uh, it kind of it kind of just grew and grew like this this need this this hunger to just be saved or just to know God. I, because I was like, I don't know if God is the Mormon God. I don't know if it's the, the, the Christian God. I don't know what he is, but whatever he is, I just want to, I just need to be saved. And so I, I just felt this icky, this, this gross, this just heavy feeling for days around the, the summer of 2016. Just just kept growing again, you know, like that, that same kind of just gross feeling I had when I was studying LDS church history. Just felt like just, just gross. Just like I just, I just, I just need the Lord. And so I remember kneeling down to pray in my apartment and going to God in prayer and saying, God, I know, I don't know what you are exactly. I don't know who you are. If you're the LDS God, you know, if you're an exalted man, I'll believe that. If you're the triune God, I'll believe that. I don't care what it is. You know, I just, you know, just cried out to God and said, just please just, just save me from this despair, from these sins. Just, just, 
I, I want you to save me. I just cried out to him, you know, and I, I just felt so disgusting and just felt like I just needed him, just needed him to, to, to pull me out of this, this mire that I was caught in. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I felt like I'd had ex- spiritual experiences in my life, but, but at that moment I had a, an experience I'd never had before. It was just like, it was just like walking through a waterfall where you're just, you know, you're covered in mud. You're just disgusting and stinky and you're just completely weighed down. And like, I felt like I was just walking through a waterfall and like all of that mud and all that filth and that muck was just washed from like head to toe. Just all that fear, that anger, that, that, that guilt, the unsurety, the uncertainty, all of that was just washed away instantly. And I just felt just pure joy. And I'd never felt anything like that before. I, I went from like being completely tired and just run down and just like almost spiritually dead to just feeling like I was a completely new person. Like I just had energy. I could just, I was just running around my apartment, just feeling so completely ecstatic. It was just, it was probably like two or three in the morning, but I felt like it was one in the afternoon. You know, I just had so much energy and I just remember lying on my bed and just thanking and praising God and just felt like this was the answer. You know, I, when I was studying LDS church history, I wanted this answer and, and like I was, I was wanting this answer to, to just assure me. And I, and I, I wasn't sure where to go after that, but I just, I just felt like God had, had connected with me again, you know, like, but, but really connected with me in a way that I'd never had before. And so I just went to bed praising and thanking God. And the best way I can describe it is like the next two or three days is like, I was just floating on a cloud. Like everywhere I went, I just felt like I was up in the, I was up in the air. Like I was just floating around wherever I went. I just had this skip to my, to my step. I just had this energy that I'd never had before. And I just felt like as a completely new person. And even though nothing changed, you know, I still went to the same lab. I sat at the same seat. I had lived in the same apartment. I just felt like I was just completely different. I just had a desire to just want to know more, just want to learn more. And, and, um, I didn't know where to, I didn't know if I was going to be LDS. You know, I kind of felt like, you know, maybe this is the answer I wanted. Maybe I'll, I'll be able to serve a mission. I'll, I can get it, you know, like a, as in a senior missionary, I can get right in the temple now. You know, I didn't know. I was just excited for whatever was coming. So I waffled, you know, I, I, I'm just trying to figure out where to go from there. Seek God's guidance. So I kept reading, started getting really into Bible commentaries. Excuse me. I started getting really into Bible commentaries and study Bibles and watching debates. And I watched James White's program. So he's reformed and uh, he would he would read passages like John 6 and he would say, you know, no one can come to the father. No one can come to me unless he is drawn by the father. And if he's drawn, you know, and if he comes to me, then I will, he will be lifted up at the last day. And so then James White would describe that from the reform perspective. And I'd be like, there's no way that's true. You know, I try to I try to prove it from like a Mormon perspective that he was wrong. And I couldn't disprove him, but I wasn't willing to accept what he said either. You know, I'm like, well, I, that's what the text says, you know, <laughs> so. So I would read it and that's, that's, uh, I was like, well, you know, I'm not really quite to accept that. Then maybe there's a different interpretation I can go with. But so I kind of put that on the back burner. And I, I considered after watching Mormon stories a lot, I watched the, uh, Hamer. What's his name? Um, John Hamer. John Hamer. Yeah. Thank you. I watched his, his Mormon stories where he talked about how the community of Christ can be a place for doubting Mormons to go, you know, if they, they feel like, the LDS church isn't right for them and it's kind of a transition place to go. And they were, I was still kind of unsure about the Trinity, but it's, you know, it seemed to make sense, you know, over time it started to make more sense. And then, so I considered for a time going to the community of Christ. But after that, I, I was like, I was trying to rekindle that relationship with my former fiance and, 
and there was a possibility that you know that we could we could still get married so that that was kind of a temptation too i think um maybe not a temptation but just my thought process is like well maybe this is true you know so i'll at least give it a shot so i tried to i tried to pick up the pieces and stay lds again but just the more i studied the more i read over the months and months the less you know i was like i can't i can't do this subjective thing i can't i can't be part of a church and pick and choose what i want to believe uh, it's either true or it's not there's no there's no cafeteria mormonism in my mind you know it's like you're either pure mormon or you're not in so it was in, over that time period where i was just continuing to study christian theology study trying to figure out what i what i wanted to believe what i thought the bible taught that was the only real anchor i had was god and the bible so i was like wherever wherever god leads me that's where i'm gonna go i don't care where it leads me but i'm just gonna believe truth no matter where it takes me so a lot of a lot of transitions in 2016 and so um yeah so then i studied i looked around for a while for a church and uh wasn't quite sure which church to join or which church to go to because as a mormon leaving the church your first thought is like okay well if i'm going to be christian which one of the thousands of denominations should i join right <laughs> that's usually the first question they ask mm-hmm. so well with reformed theology that that limits it significantly so at my beginning of my journey when i kind of had my conversion experiences i was like well what if i leave and become christian where do i go i could become community of christ that's familiar to me you know it's very similar or i could do this or that but then when you know reformed theology i think uh, god God kind of used as a means to help make it easier for me because I'm a very, I, I have a very hard time making decisions, especially decisions as important as eternal heaven or hell, you know, like which church to join. So I think God kind of used that as a means to make it easier for me. Um, and, and like I said, it just made sense to me. So that's why I was drawn towards it. So eventually I was, I was, I was drawn to, in my area, I found two churches I could attend. I could attend a an OPC church, so Orthodox Presbyterian Church, or a Reformed Baptist Church. So I started attending those two churches kind of simultaneously while I was trying to figure out the theology and figure out which one I would want to join. That's very cool. Well, Matthew, let me ask you one last question from me. Okay. Is there anything that you would like to say to any Latter-day Saints that are listening in right now? I would just urge them to go back to the Word. Don't take what I say as authoritative. You know, I'm not an authority. I'm just a guy who's, I believe, has been saved by, by God's grace alone. Just go to the Bible. As Paul said, there, there may be some passages that you don't understand or, or, or having a trouble grappling with, but just go to the Bible and just read it and just pray for God to teach you what it says. If There's either one or two options. If you're right, if Latter-day Saints are right and it turns out that I'm wrong, when you read the Bible, you know, let's just think of this hypothetical situation. If I'm right and they're wrong, they have nothing to lose by studying the Bible in depth. But hypothetically, you know, I, I truly believe that, that that God saved me and that this is the correct position. But I'm just saying hypothetically, if we're right, then you have everything to gain by reading the word and trusting what it says. So I just urge them just to go to the word. Just one of the books that's least studied by Mormons is Romans. Just read Romans straight through. Start with chapter one and just pray for God to give you understanding. Because in it, it says that God justifies the ungodly, not by our works, but by our faith. And that's one thing that Joseph Smith changed in his inspired translation, is he changed it from God justifies the ungodly to God justifies not the ungodly. And I would just ask any LDS listeners just to think about why he would add that not in there. Why do we have to become godly first before God can justify us? Is it even possible, based on Romans chapters 1 through 3, can we become godly by our own works, and then God justifies us. How is that even possible? It says that it's, it's 
just just go back to the word. Just read it, pray on it, have God bring you understanding. And if you're if there are Latter Day Saints that are already doubting, that are already you know kind of out heading out of the church, just don't feel like every church is now a lie. That's a lie that the church told you. It's not one is true and the rest are false. The point the point is not which church is true. The point is how are you saved? How do you come to know God? I don't believe that my church is the only true church. I believe that Christ is the way to salvation. It's a relationship with Him. Go to Him in faith. It's not about finding the right building or the right theological construct. I could be wrong. I could be wrong in my belief of Calvinism or uh, as a as a Reformed Baptist. I could be wrong. But but what what matters is Christ. That's that's the thing that I'll hold to, and that's what matters the most in our salvation. So, like I said, you have really nothing to lose. So I just challenge every LDS person just to go to the word and just read it and not be afraid. Just trust in God. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Outer Brightness Podcast. We'd like to hear from you. You're invited to visit the Outer Brightness Podcast page on Facebook. Feel free to send a message there with comments or suggestions by clicking send a message at the top of the page, and we would appreciate it if you give the page a like. We also have an Outer Brightness Podcast group on Facebook where you can join and interact with us and others as we discuss the podcast, past episodes, suggestions for future episodes, etc. We would love to hear from you and hope to speak with you soon. Stay bright, fireflies. You can subscribe to the Outer Brightness Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Google Play, CastBox, Podbean, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you like what you hear, give us a rating or review wherever you listen. Thank you, Fireflies. You can also connect with Michael the Ex-Mormon Apologist at FromWaterToWine.org, where he blogs, and sometimes Paul and Matthew do as well. Music for the Outer Brightness podcast is graciously provided by the talented Brianna Flournoy and by Adams Road. Learn more about Adams Road at www.adamsroadministry.com. In the past, I believed in my own righteousness. And hope that I was worthy of the blood that Jesus shed But now I know that all the works I did were meaningless Compared with Jesus' lonely death on the cross where he bore sin And now I have the righteousness that is by faith in Jesus' name Took away the written code, the love was 
that stood opposed and nailed it there for me. And through the cross, he put to death hostility and in his body reconciled us to God and brought us peace. And I am crucified with Christ and I no longer of the cross Some demand a sign and some seek to be wise But we preach Christ crucified A stumbling block for some The foolishness of God But wiser than the wisest man The power of the cross May I never boast except of our Lord through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world so I take up my cross and follow 